Thank you, worship team. Kids, you are dismissed to Children's Church, so at this time you can make your way to the back. And as the kids are leaving, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, as we come to this text this morning, we find a sobering warning to us as believers to not take our walk with you and our relationship with you lightly. Father, I pray that as we look through this text that you would give us insight, that you would grant us ears to hear and a life to back up what we hear. Lord, may we not only be hearers of the word, but may we be doers also. Thank you so much for the word of God and the balance that it gives us where you share your love and your unconditional acceptance of us in Jesus Christ, but where you also warn us that when we sin, we will face consequences here on earth, consequences that are brought because of your love and compassion for us. So help us to grasp these principles, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and we will turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and we'll be looking at verses 26 through 31 this morning. You know, a criticism that is often leveled toward the doctrine of grace and certainly toward the doctrine of eternal security is this. A person can receive Christ as their Savior and then they have carte blanche to do whatever they want. That's the misrepresentation of those doctrines. But at times, the way Christians behave in the church, they give fuel to that accusation because that's more or less the attitude that many adopt. We need to understand that when we trust Christ as our Savior, we have a responsibility to obey what He says. It's not just the idea that I get a ticket out of jail and now I can live way, you know, whatever way I want. It's the idea that with my membership in the family of God, there's great responsibility. And as a child of God, I need to take that responsibility very, very seriously. And that's what this warning passage challenges us to consider here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. It's a warning to us as believers that we dare not live a life of sin and wanton disregard for the commandments and the truth of God. We need to live in light of what God has called us to be, his children. You know, as a dad, I had three sons. And my three sons were just like any other sons. They weren't perfect. And when they would do something that was against the rules of the household or against God's rules, I had a responsibility as a father to call them to task. Now, as a father, we always had a relationship. They would always be my son. I would always be their father. But when they misbehaved, there was a break in fellowship. Never a break in relationship, but certainly a break in fellowship. And during those times, I had to discipline them. The idea was, I'm going to make their life miserable for a little while so they won't do what they just did again. Now, sometimes, I'll confess, I did it out of revenge. They made me mad. But in my better moments, I did it because I loved them. 
I didn't want to see them head down the wrong course. And sometimes, as a dad, I would just let them go ahead and find the consequences of their sin. Now, I wouldn't carry it so far as to say, go ahead and play in the traffic in Southwest Highway. That's too severe a consequence. But I would let them go ahead and do something and experience the consequence of it so that they could understand that there are reasons behind the rules that we have and that there are consequences to breaking those rules. And really, that's what we find as we come to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. God is spelling out for the people of this first century letter the consequences to breaking, but it's also a warning to us today. It's as relevant today as the day that it was written. If you remember in the early, earlier part of the 10th chapter, God was stressing our connection and how we can come boldly before God, how we can have confidence in coming before Him, and how Jesus Christ for all time brought forgiveness to us. But we have to balance that understanding with the understanding that I am responsible to live out in obedience what God calls me to do as His child. And that's what we find starting at verse 26. What really this passage is sharing with us is how we need to have a healthy fear of God. Now, the fear of God is a topic that really is kind of taboo in churches today. We all want to talk about God's love and God's grace and God's kindness and God's compassion, and those are certainly true. But in so doing, sometimes we bring God down to a level to where we feel comfortable with Him, where we make Him just like us, and to where we don't see the vast superiority of God to us and thereby lose all fear of God. There's a balance that we have to strike where we see the accessibility that we have to God, the openness where God invites us into fellowship with Him, but balanced with the idea that God isn't one of the boys. God isn't just like us. He's Creator. He is God. And I am His creation. We have to keep that thought process. Now look at the 26th verse. And as we come to the 26th verse, we find that punishment for intentional sin is something that we as believers should expect. Notice how the writer of Hebrews begins this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have a knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Now we're going to pause right there at the 26th verse. And I want you to notice the seriousness of this language. It's telling us that persistent, unrepentant sin brings consequences. Look carefully at this verse. Notice the way the sin is framed. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning. Now, let me ask you something. Isn't most sin deliberate? I mean, think about this for a moment. When you sin, sometimes that conscience kicks up and says, hey, what you're about to do, that's wrong. Don't do that. Don't go there. The Holy Spirit will sometimes pound at our hearts saying, don't do that. Don't go in that direction. Don't involve yourself in that activity. And what do we do? We go ahead and do it anyway. We sin. Sin is, by definition, deliberate because it's rebellion against God. 
That's the whole idea when it comes to sin. So when the scripture says if we go on sinning deliberately, what, what does it mean? We have to look at not only the idea of deliberate sin, but the idea of keeping that deliberate sin going. And that's the idea that we find here. If we get into a sin pattern where God has explicitly said this is wrong, and we choose to go ahead and do it anyway, hang the consequences, I don't care what God's word says, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Should I as a believer expect to live a consequence-free life? And the answer to that is absolutely not. God, by virtue of being God, is going to look at that sin and find it offensive. And God is going to deal with me, not on the eternal level, because that has been set in my relationship with Jesus Christ, but certainly on the temporal level. I'm going to find consequences here and now for the sins that I commit. And I can't expect to go consequence-free when I engage in that. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Suppose a person engages in marital infidelity. Think about the consequences that can come as a result of that sin. It can affect his relationship with his wife, his relationship with his children, his relationship as far as a testimony in the community. It can draw him into greater and greater sin with greater and greater consequences. That kind of sin, or any sin, you know, the, the, the tricky little secret that sin tries to whisper in our ear is, you can get away with it. There are no consequences. Go ahead, dabble in it. Nothing's going to come of it. You'll get away with it. And that's false. The Word of God is telling us right here, if we deliberately go on sinning after we've received a knowledge of the truth, and by the way, that phrase, after we've received a knowledge of the truth, is a word that shares with us the idea that we are believers, that we are followers of Christ. So it's not talking about those who are outside the faith. It's talking about those who have embraced the faith. So what it's saying is, if we go on doing these things, there is no sacrifice for sin. Now I want you to think about what that means. There's no sacrifice for sin. In the Old Testament, the Word of God talks about a particular kind of sin. And that kind of sin was called the sin with the high hand. We find it in the book of Numbers. And I want you to look at this text. Numbers chapter 15, verses 30 and 31. The person who does anything with a high hand, whether as native or sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. Now, cut off is a euphemism in this particular text for death. In the Old Testament law, there was a death penalty. And one of the penalties that people would find was when they sinned with a high hand. Now, question, what does it mean to sin with a high hand? Here's the idea. I'm sinning, and I don't care. That's the idea of sin with a high hand. It's saying, I'm going to do this, and if you don't like it, lump it. And look, I'm doing it in full view. Everybody can see me. Look over here. I'm sinning. That's the idea. God looks at sin with a high hand as 
offensive, deplorable. And so what was the consequence? There was a temporal consequence. That individual was cut off from the community permanently because they faced the death penalty. Notice it says why in verse 31. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. In other words, he's going to face the due consequence for his sin. He's going to find temporal death, not necessarily spiritual death, but certainly temporal death. He is going to die as a result of his sin. So the principle that the writer of Hebrews is setting forth here is this. Sin brings about consequences, and there's not a sacrifice to get you out of those consequences. In the Old Testament, when that person sinned with the high hand, they couldn't go and offer a sacrifice and say, I'm right back at it. Here I am. I just sacrificed my lamb, but no big deal. I'm going to keep on sinning. God wouldn't receive his sacrifice. And it wouldn't stay the consequences. So what we're seeing here when it comes to our relationship with God is this. We can maintain that relationship with God, still being his sons, where we have the relationship, but our sin will break the fellowship that we have with God and with his community. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is introducing this Old Testament principle so that people can understand us. Not an eternal condemnation on the part of this individual, but certainly a temporal consequence. And as believers, the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that we're going to face the same thing. Not necessarily the death penalty, but certainly the temporal consequences. And God allows differing kinds of temporal consequences to come into our lives. Sometimes it's just the natural result of our sin. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of you have been beat up by the consequences of the wrong things that you've done? Maybe it's your guilt, and you're just miserable, you have no peace. Maybe it's a break in relationship with somebody else because of something that you've done, and that's the natural consequence. Maybe it's a speeding ticket because you looked at a sign and said, hey, I don't care what the sign says, I'm doing what I want. Let me ask you something. If you go before the judge after you flagrantly break a speeding law and say, I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ, so therefore I have no consequence, will the judge buy it? No. There's a temporal consequence for what you've done. God wants us to understand that there are consequences for doing wrong. And it's brought out crystal clear in this passage But then he goes on in the 27th verse to talk about the punishment for intentional sin, how there's a probability of severe consequences for our unrepentant sin. Look at the 27th verse. There's no sacrifice for sin, but only fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now, let me begin by saying this sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? And let me say that this is serious. I mentioned moments ago that people do not have a fear of God 
because it's rarely taught nowadays. Often we'll hear people say, we have the Old Testament angry God and the New Testament nice God. It's the same God with the same outlook on sin. And what it's saying to us is this. We can face God's discipline right here, right now, for the wrong that we do. And we need to live in a fear of God in light of that. Let's look at some scriptures. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I don't want you to think about what that's saying. In, in the, the Greek, by the way, the word fear is best translated fear. Okay, there's, there's no loophole in the original language. God is to be feared with a reverential, godly fear, balanced with the idea that I'm accepted in Jesus Christ. And you don't want the pendulum to f- swing too far either way in the wrong direction. If it's all about my acceptance in Jesus Christ and I disregard righteous living, then the pendulum swung too far that way. Or if it's God is always this angry God waiting to lower the boom on me, the pendulum has swung too far in that direction. We need to hold both doctrines dear, that I'm accepted in Christ Jesus, but I'm also accountable to God. And that's what a godly fear does. We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now this is addressed to believers. And it's a responsibility that we have to live before God in righteousness because we're accountable to God. Here's something that I found that was amazing. Even in heaven, in the presence of God, those saints who have departed and are before Him are recorded in the book of Revelation as having a fear of God. Notice what it says. The 24 elders and four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants. You who fear Him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Do you notice what's underlined in, in bold print there? You who fear Him. And they're before His presence in heaven. So this fear of God is something that is real. And that is important. And that we as believers need to have a healthy dose of in order to interact with God in the right way. So let's go back to this 27th verse. And let's try and understand what the Word of God is saying. 
For those who sin deliberately and choose to sin with that high hand, saying, I'll do what I want to do and forget what God has to say about it, there is an expectation of judgment. Now, let me say this. Judgment does not always mean eternal judgment in Scripture. When we look in the Old Testament, God would judge His people. And that's what we're going to see as we go through this text a little bit more. God would judge His people. It didn't break the relationship that God maintained with His people. It only enhanced that relationship because He would drive them back to obedience. Look at the history of Israel. Here is a covenant people. They would go to other gods. They would live in immorality. What would God do? God would judge His people with temporal consequences. Nations would come in and take them over, capture them. They would suffer the consequences as a people for the sin that they had committed. That was described in God's Word as judgment. Not an eternal judgment, but a temporal judgment. And I believe that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was ministering to a people who had turned their back on God, who were facing a temporal judgment. And this is what he says, O Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Now, that's some pretty serious language from the prophet. And what he's saying is, let these people who are disobedient experience your punishment. The fire of your zeal. Let them experience it, that they may be turned. What the writer of Hebrews is warning us about is this. As a believer, yes, I am forgiven in my standing with God. But I'm still accountable to Him. And if I choose to sin and live as there is no God, I'm still going to face consequences. God doesn't absolve me of that. As a parent, if you have a child who is living a rebellious life, doing whatever they want to do, disregarding every rule that you set forth, and every rule that society has put in place, what happens to that child if every time they get in jail because of something wrong that they've done, you go and bail them out and say, well, I don't want you to suffer any of the consequences for your activity. What happens? They become a spoiled brat. They believe that they can live consequence-free. And part of what we've done in sharing the doctrine of grace is almost leave that impression with people that you can live consequence-free. The doctrine of grace doesn't teach license. The doctrine of grace talks about God's forgiveness, the fact that our sin is brought under the blood of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't say, therefore, whenever you sin willfully, eh, no big deal, nothing's going to really happen. We will face consequences here and now brought by the loving hand of God. And this is further developed in the 12th chapter of Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews talks about the fact that God disciplines those he loves. We'll find that a little bit later. Now, with the children of Israel, we see what the prophet Isaiah says. 
Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. The idea is the temporal judgment of God, how God had judged other nations for judging Israel. God was then turning that judgment on the people of Israel. They were facing the consequences of their sin and their misbehavior. But balance that also with what we find, and I didn't get this on the slide, but we find in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. If you have your outlines, look at that. It says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. While God looked at his children as worthy of his judgment and discipline, he did not view them as worthy of having the covenant that they had made with God completely wiped out. That as a people, they would be destroyed. God was true to the covenant that he entered into. And what I would like to submit to you is that same thing is true of us when we enter into the covenant of a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That new covenant described here in the book of Hebrews as the covenant of blood. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we have an eternal personal relationship with the Father. But even in light of that truth, there is still an accountability that we face for our sin. And that's the point that the writer of Hebrews is driving home in some very strong language. Look at what he says. There's a raging fire that consumes the enemies of God. This warning is a sobering warning to the body of Christ. We don't want to disregard God and live loosely. We don't want to disregard God and say that my sin is inconsequential because in so doing, I am denying the position of God, the power of God, my accountability to God. Something else. In the New Testament, we also find that fire tests the quality of our work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Scripture says this, it will be revealed with fire. Now, let me pause here for a moment. A lot of times when people read fire in the Bible, where do they immediately go? They're thinking, oh, it's talking about hell. Fire can refer to discernment. It can refer to God's zeal, God's, God's anger. But here... It's referring to God's scrutiny, the, the idea that our works will be tested. And notice the 14th verse. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. It is burned up. But look at this. He will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So again, the idea that we can find the scrutiny of God the zeal of God, and yet remain saved. That principle is brought out clearly in that passage of Scripture. And I believe that's what's going on here in Hebrews chapter 10. Now look at verse 28. In verse 28, the writer of Hebrews goes back to a previous example of punishing sin from the Old Covenant. And look at what this says. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, once again, the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing, 
and let me repeat this, emphasizing the idea of temporal punishment. When the people died because they disregarded the law of Moses, it's returning to that concept that was introduced in the 27th verse. The concept that there no longer remained a sacrifice. In other words, a person commits sin, and once they've committed the sin, they can't do a sacrifice to undo the consequences of that sin. If I murdered somebody, I couldn't go offer a lamb and say, well, now that I've offered this lamb, I no longer face the consequences for that murder. Not the idea. There was the dispensing of justice under the Mosaic law, no matter what that person did. That's the idea. And here I think we see the same thing. The consequences for our sin are very much the same. Yes, I have trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I'm thankful for what He has done for me, and I understand that His death on the cross secures for me eternal right standing with God. But does that mean that I'm not going to face consequences? Suppose I were to murder somebody. I've trusted Christ as my Savior, and in a fit of rage, I commit murder. Possible for even a child of God in a moment of weakness. See, we're the ones that kind of categorize sin. Whoa, murder. Wait, lie. Eh, not so much, right? Sin is sin, as far as God is concerned. So I sin. Once again, there isn't the idea that I need not fear being imprisoned because I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ. I still face the temporal consequences for that sin, right? I still face the outcome of my actions. And the same thing goes when I gossip. If I gossip, the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't wash the outcome of that sin. The gossip that I've committed does damage to the person's reputation that I've gossiped about. It does damage to my trustworthiness. Do you get the point? The consequences to that sin here and now still unfold. And so that's the warning that we find here. As believers, we need to understand that, yes, God is merciful. And listen, sometimes... We sin and we don't feel the full brunt of our consequences, and I'm thankful for that. But most often we will and we can expect it, and especially if it's a behavior pattern to where I'm saying I'm going to sin and no one can stop me. That's asking for it. That's us putting ourselves in a position to where we're saying, I'm not accountable to God. And because God is who He is, God is saying, oh, I'll put you in a position to where you see that you indeed are accountable to me by letting you experience that full outcome of your sin. The text continues. As we go on in the text, we find that the writer of Hebrews really begins to share with us a perspective on the proper fear of God how that's essential. And notice as we come to the 29th verse, 
There's a statement here that shocked me as I read it about what we're doing when we sin flagrantly and persistently disregarding God. The passage goes on to say, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Now, these are serious charges when we look at this. And by the way, there's no way that this passage is not talking about a Christian because notice what the middle of this says. A person is insulting the Spirit of grace, but he is regarding as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that what? Sanctified him. So this is a believer that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. But look at what we do when we sin. If I sin and I disregard what God has said, and I say, I'm going to live the way I want to live, and I don't care what God has to say about it, what am I saying about God by my actions? I want you to look at the three descriptions that are given in this 29th verse. First of all, I'm saying that the Son of God is not worthwhile. The NIV translates this as spurning the Son of God, but a more literal translation is to trample underfoot the Son of God. We need to realize from an Eastern perspective what is being stated when we say that we trample something underfoot. Do you realize that the soles of your feet are an insult to people in the East? Remember when they tore down the statue of Saddam Hussein and they'd pull off their sandals and whack it with their sandals as an insult? What they're saying is, that's beneath my feet. It's worthy of nothing. It's less than nothing. It's beneath me. It's the supreme insult. So I want you to think about this. Let's put it into perspective. I'm a child of God. I share with people around me, hey, I follow Jesus Christ. And then I live exactly like the rest of the world. No difference whatsoever. My values are the same. My language is the same. My conduct is the same. I put a verse in the corner of Facebook that talks about Jesus, and then every comment and every outlook that you find on my page has absolutely nothing to do with him. My words may say one thing, but my actions say the opposite. I'm trampling underfoot the Son of God. I'm saying that He makes no difference in someone's life. I follow Him with my words, but my conduct really doesn't matter. Which speaks louder, your actions or your words? Your actions. So by my actions, I'm trampling underfoot the Son of God. I am saying He makes no difference in your life. I live the way I want to live because Jesus hasn't made a difference in my life. That's what we're saying if we live in an ungodly manner. Look at the next statement. We treat as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified us. 
The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. And as we've gone through the book of Hebrews, we've seen the preciousness of that sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. So if I say, I'm going to live the way I want to live, and it doesn't matter what God says about it, you know what I'm saying about the blood of Jesus Christ? Inconsequential. Some of your versions translated, I treat it as a common thing. There's nothing special about the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, there's one other passage in Scripture that talks about profaning the blood of the covenant. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, where it says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, let me bring this into perspective. The context of Hebrews, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is this. People were coming together for the communion. Wealthy people were sitting down and having a feast. Poor people were standing on the outside of the church given nothing. The whole point of the communion is to bring people together in unity, but they were sinning against the body of Christ, the church, by turning it into a hierarchy where the special ones got special treatment. But the ones who were maybe poor or dirty got no consideration at all. It was a sin not only against the church body, but against the blood of the covenant because the blood of Jesus Christ draws us together and makes us one. But look at what the text goes on to say. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord. Now look at this. Eats and drinks judgment on himself. So God was judging them for their activity and their treatment of the blood of the covenant of Jesus Christ. And then look at the explanation as to what the judgment is in verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have died. That's what fallen asleep means. So God was giving temporal judgment to the body of Christ for the way they treated the blood of the covenant. Go back to Hebrews. Look at the last thing we do when we sin without regard. We insult the Spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit, we're told in Scripture, can be grieved, He can be quenched, and right here, we're told He can be insulted. When the Holy Spirit works on you and says, don't do that, you know that's wrong, and we justify it and we ignore Him and we go ahead and go our own independent way, do you know that the Spirit of God is insulted by that kind of behavior? That's what this text is bringing to light. And that's what we need to understand. God takes sin seriously. And if we have the proper fear of God, we'll take sin seriously as well. But in the church today, sin is minimized. It's not that big a deal. So what? We all goof. We all slip up here and there. Let's not really worry about it because it's inconsequential. Here the Word of God is telling us something quite different. 
And because these are the things that we do, how can we expect God not to deal with them? When we live in offense before Him as His people. What we find instead is a promise that God will punish His people. Look carefully at verse 30. For we know Him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. If God is just, He has to let us experience the consequences, the temporal consequences of our sin. Yes, they're forgiven under the blood. But the mess that I make, I have to experience. That's the point of this passage. God, in His justice, is going to allow us to face those consequences right here, right now. Because God is God, He must. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us. And he says this with a very powerful statement that we find right here in this text. The Lord will judge His people. God has warned us in His Word that He won't stand by and watch us do things that are wrong. Really, we find this in passage after passage, but to me, one of the strongest passages is in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 7. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man sows what he reaps. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. Now, what the NIV translates as destruction is better translated as corruption. And corruption is that natural breaking down process that comes to us. You want your life to be a disaster? Then, yeah, continue sinning. And you'll find the natural consequences of that sin come home to roost. You will reap what you sow. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It's a great passage of Scripture. We will experience the abundance of that eternal life right here, right now. If I live like the rest of the world, I'm not going to experience that abundance that Christ gives. But if I live in obedience to God, I experience all that it is to be a child of God, the peace the happiness, the blessing that comes from being a child of God. God wants us to live in this manner. Final thought that I want to share with you is this. We have to have a proper perspective of fear. And we should have that as the people of God. Look at verse 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The writer of Hebrews really sums it up in that 31st verse. God is a loving God. He is our Father. He welcomes us to come into a personal relationship with Him, to know and experience what it is to have Him as our Father, to have the freedom to come before Him anytime, anywhere. That's been brought out so clearly in the book of Hebrews, and it's something we rejoice in. 
but God is also the living God. And as a Christian, I shouldn't look and say, I'll live any way that I want to live and never face any consequences. Listen, if we do that and think that way, it's going to be reflected in our behavior. If we don't have a fear of God, we're going to have disobedient behavior. That's a fact. So as Christians have that balanced view. He's my father. I love him. I come to him. I thank him for opening his arms to me and welcoming me. But he's also the God who disciplines when I step out of line because he loves me. As my kids were growing up, I loved them more deeply than they could know. And when I disciplined them, it was out of love because I wanted to see them grow to be men of God. God, as a father, is so much better than I was as a father. And he'll do the same. So let me encourage you this morning. Understand that the fear of God is healthy, important. And understand that obedience to him, for us as believers, vital. Our obedience doesn't win a relationship with God. But our obedience should certainly be something that wells up in us from gratitude to be directed toward God as worship and praise of Him because He is God and He's worthy of my worship, not only through my words, but through my life. So let me encourage you this morning, live lives of obedience to honor him, to worship him. And don't go down the road of wanton sin to where you say, I'll live the way I choose to live and I'll live consequence free. That lie has been a lie from the beginning. And it continues as long as sin exists. Don't buy it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. These warning passages in Hebrews are hard to hear. They're certainly hard to preach. But they're part of your eternal word. So my prayer, God, is that we would be found faithful that we would avoid the consequences of sin by following you in obedience, and that we would see the importance of living for Jesus Christ day in and day out. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.